let me warn you, I'm about to say something that might shock you. It's not normally spoken about in polite circles or church. I'm going to talk about money. It seems to me Christians have an uneasy relationship with money. On the one hand, if we're honest, we like money. We like it because we can do lots of good things with it. It buys essentials, food, clothes, medicine, homes to live in, light bulbs, refrigerators. Most of us couldn't live without money. Uh, Not only that, we like money because it buys things and experiences we enjoy. Like holidays, ice cream, books, toys, TVs, concert tickets, games of golf, jewellery. Money helps make life enjoyable. And we like money because we can do good for other people with it. We can buy presents for our family, give money to missionaries, help house, clothe and feed refugees, buy a meal for a homeless man, give money to the church, pay a bill for an unemployed neighbour, sponsor a compassion child. Uh, We like money. And that's where work comes in when it comes to helping other people because for most of us, unless we work, we don't have money to be able to do those things, to help ourselves or to help others. In fact, Ephesians 4.28 says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his hands, so that he may have something to share with those in need. You ever wonder why you're going off to work? There's a good reason, so that you can share. So surely it's good to have money, isn't it? Then why do we often feel guilty about having it or saving it or not giving enough or being wealthier than most the rest of the world? We have a nagging feeling there's something evil about money. Perhaps it's verses like James 5 that says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Uh, They're pretty, pretty firm words, aren't they, about wealth? Perhaps we know 1 Timothy 6.10 better. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That doesn't sound like money's too good. And then Jesus himself says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It sounds like money's a bad thing. Uh, Or is it? Uh, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 encourages us to honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That sounds like God blesses us with wealth when we're generous to him. Uh, Proverbs 10.22 makes it even more clear, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth. 
he adds no trouble to it. God's behind us, giving, he gives us the wealth that we have. Does he give us bad things? No. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 takes a step back and recognises that God gives everything to do with wealth. He, he gives us the work that generates it, he gives us the enjoyment of our work and an enjoyment in the possessions that come from our work. All of it comes from God. So Ecclesiastes 5 says, Then I realise that it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when man gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. Work and wealth are gifts from God, they're part of his good purposes for his world. We shouldn't feel guilty about having money. But like all good God-given things, we have a way of turning that money and that wealth into something bad, turning it into an idol and holding on to it and becoming enslaved by it rather than using it. It's not that money is bad. I think that's the conclusion we come to when we put all of those verses together. It's not that money is bad, it's our attitude to it and what we do with it that can be bad. Remember there in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, it's, it's the love of money that is the root of evil. Uh, not money itself. It's the love of money that's the problem. So I want to I suggest that money and wealth are like medical radioactive isotopes. Money and wealth are like radioactive isotopes. They're dangerous but useful. Dangerous but useful. Uh, Anstow Nuclear Reactor at Lucas Heights produces medical radioisotopes, radioactive chemicals that are used for scans for cancer treatments. They're highly dangerous. Nuclear scientists have to take major safety precautions when they handle them, when, uh, when they produce them. But when they're used in the right way, they're life-saving and they can do things that nothing else can do. And it's the same with worldly wealth. Treated with caution, used wisely, wealth can have wonderful effects. But when people don't take its dangers seriously, it can be deadly. It's dangerous but useful. Now, that's something that brother and sister George and Nola Meza discovered. Uh, at their Enmore hairdressing salon in the 80s, they often joked with customers about the new Rolls-Royce or BMW they'd buy if they ever won the lottery. Uh, then came the day when they weren't just talking about it, but they actually won it. 1982, they won uh, nearly half a million dollars, which doesn't sound much these days. It wouldn't buy you a unit in Campsie. But half a million dollars, they didn't buy the new car or the mansion. They did something that most people couldn't understand, Financial advisors would laugh at it. They started a soup kitchen. Uh, you might have seen it. It's called Our Lady of the Snows, uh, Our Lady of Snows near Central Railway Station. 
Not only did they provide the money, they spent the days there cooking, serving, shopping and cleaning and on top of it they raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for other charities as well. Uh, At the time, George said, other winners go on trips and buy shares but it's better to get out and do something good with your money because you can't take it with you. Now, I'm not sure whether they were Christian or not and I'm certainly not telling you to play the lottery but George and Nola have exactly the sort of attitude to money that Jesus wants. To treat it as useful but dangerous like a medical radioisotope. Make it serve you rather than you serve it. That's what we learn from the story Jesus told. Luke 16, uh, we read about a rich man. He finds out his manager has been wasting the profits. We're not told whether it's incompetence or dishonesty, but he's called in and asked to present the books to show the evidence of his mismanagement and the manager has a problem. Verse 3, he says, what shall I do? My master's taking away my job, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. His options are pretty limited. He's not going to get a good reference, the chances of getting another job are slim and he's a proud wimp. He's too ashamed to beg but he's also too puny to labour. And so he comes up with an alternative, verse 4. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe? 800 gallons, sit down, make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much? 1,000 bushels of wheat, take it and make it 800. He goes through the debtor's register and he forgives huge amounts of debt. He just writes it off. Now we're only told here of two examples but the assumption is that he does it for everyone. (laughs) While he still has authority to make those agreements, he does it before he loses his job. And the boss will be stuck with those new arrangements because they're legally binding. And the theory is if he can make some friends while he still has influence, when he's unemployed and has no influence, he'll be able to call in some favours. Now commentators argue about whether he's done anything illegal or not. Uh, He's called an unjust steward, he's called a wise steward, so perhaps is he unjust? Some say he has, He's, he's defrauding his boss. Other commentators say, well, the boss was only illegally charging interest and so the manager's just wiping off the illegal interest charge. Uh, Others say that it was only the manager's commission that he was foregoing. Whatever the situation, the manager has been shrewd. He's been clever, sharp as a tack. But now what's going to happen? Well, the master's response is surprising. In verse 8, we read the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. We're surprised. We may not agree with the morals, but we're applauding the cleverness. Notice the boss is not commending, uh, that the boss is commending the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. It's not, he's not being commended for his dishonesty, he's being commended for his shrewdness. It seems to us like a funny response to have 
maybe it does suggest that this was simply a legal interest and the, the boss has been caught out and he says, well, well played. Um, another suggestion is that the manager has lost money but he has earned significant goodwill in the community and so he's not as upset as he might be. Uh, there will be benefits for the boss in the future. He's, he's earned some goodwill. Uh, we don't really know what the motivation was but the master does recognise a clever use of resources. And that's Jesus' point. That's the lesson we're to learn. Uh, do you see it halfway through verse 8? For the people of this world, that's the dishonest manager, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light and that's us. Often Christians are amateurish in the way we use resources. We're slow to take opportunities or we do the opposite, we rush in and make a foolish decision or we're not creative in how to make the most of the assets we do have or we're not willing to work hard to develop proposals and be patient and and, and make sure the proposal is a good one. Or we actually get to the chance of making the decision and and we're not actually willing to take that calculated risk. We're, We're too unwilling to step out. There's a lot that Christians can learn from the best practices of businessmen and entrepreneurs and marketers. Now, there's lots to avoid, of course, but Jesus is saying we're to learn from the world, we're to learn from the shrewd manager. Verse 9, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Once again, he's comparing us to the dishonest steward. That was his situation. He made the most of what he had in the present uh, because of and prepared for the future. He recognised the times now, was wise and prepared for the future. We're to do the same. We're to use worldly wealth shrewdly now so that we can make friends because there is a far more important future that we're preparing for. We're not concerned about earthly dwellings We're preparing for eternal dwellings. What's Jesus talking about? Well, it's just what he's been saying for the last couple of chapters of Luke, describing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, all the people who are on the outside, the tax collectors and the sinners, and God wants them in the kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, use your earthly resources to bring them into the kingdom, to be hospitable, to look after them, invite them in. That's what I'm doing. Be wise, use your resources to do that. If you do that, you'll receive a welcome into eternal dwellings, whether it's the welcome from those people that you've made friends with or from God, perhaps it's both. Being hospitable now leads to eternal hospitality at God's table. That's what wealth should be used for. Uh, Friday night, Karen and I went to a fundraising dinner put on by a Christian foundation uh, to raise money for Christian scripture in schools. 
wealthy Christians were invited along uh, and given the opportunity to support that ministry to make sure that kids keep hearing about Jesus in public schools. Now, all sorts of people there and there was some significant money in the room. They were wealthy. They'd been wise in how they'd built their assets. And now as I spoke to the person who'd invited them along, he said, these guys give tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to Christian charities like this one. That's what Jesus is talking about. Using worldly wealth to gain friends for the kingdom. And it's not just being hospitable with money either. Uh, The word there, unrighteous mammon, the the older versions say, it's about more than just dollars and cents. It's about wealth in a general sense. Possessions. It may be your home or food or car or trailer or tent or holidays or books or boats. Whatever we have can be used wisely to make friends for eternity. That's the only value that our things have to be making friends for eternity. Our things are not for hoarding, they're not for gloating over or collecting because they don't last. Just as George and Nola said, you can't take it with you. If the rich man sat down to take a look at your books, at your asset register, what would those books say about you? How are you using your wealth to make a difference in eternity? What return, what eternal return is it achieving? Well, there are obvious ways that we can use our resources in terms of giving money to to charities and ministries and missionaries. But what about thinking about our wealth in the way that Jesus describes it here? Use your wealth to gain friends for the kingdom. Now, Jesus is not talking about buying friends. He's not saying, if you be my friend, I'll give you $20. He's not talking about that. But there are all sorts of ways, quite out out of the ordinary, that we can use to build friendships with people, and a lot of them cost money. Why not be wise and intentional in spending money in ways that you can be building friendships with non-Christians? Join a sporting team. Do it to be physically fit, but do it so that you can also meet some non-Christians and hang out with them. Go camping. Uh, Organise a restaurant meal and invite a a bunch of workmates along. Go on a Saturday ferry trip and invite some people along or a bushwalk. Go for a drive in your car and fill it up as you go with people as well as petrol. Think of the resources you have as a way of fostering and deepening friendships. Do it for the sake of the kingdom. That's being a wise steward, says Jesus. That's just you individually. Think about the resources we have as a church. How can we combine our resources to help us make friends for eternity's sake? Each of us can contribute a little but when we join it all together, we've got the K-Central Day we can support with 15, 20, 25 people all playing a part. There's the Council Christmas Carols in December down at Ashfield Park. 30, 40, 50 of us can all do something. 
Our church building is a great resource, isn't it? Let's be honest, it's not being used very shrewdly. I had it open uh, one morning during the week, showing someone around and I had three people wander in off the street and say, I've always wondered what's inside but it's never open. Hundreds of people walk past every day. Wouldn't it be great to be able to open it up during the week for Bible study or a a lunchtime midweek service or, or just for reflection and prayer? Or what about our halls? They sit vacant. What percentage is it, Peter? 70% of the time? 90% of the time. 90% of the time it's vacant. Is that shrewd? Uh, There could be playgroups and language classes, after-school homework clubs. The Early Learning Centre is going to be one of the ways that we are, hopefully, God willing, uh, using our resources wisely to make friends for the Kingdom. Well, Jesus goes on to say it's about being a good steward. You have to make the most of what you've been given. So in verse 10 he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? The shrewd manager had to give an account for how he'd used what he'd been entrusted with. And so will we. Everything we have now comes from God. He's given it to us. He expects us to use it well as good stewards, to be faithful and reliable and shrewd and trustworthy. And as we do that, Jesus promises us a reward in eternity, true riches, a heavenly welcome, a banquet at God's table, a well-done, good and faithful servant from Jesus himself. Be a good steward. But notice the warning that comes next in verse 13. Here's where I think we get this idea of the the medical isotope, that uh, wealth is dangerous as well as useful. Verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. At which point the Pharisees laughed because they reckoned you could. They loved money and they thought they loved God. But Jesus is saying that wealth is useful when wealth is the servant, not the master. When money becomes the master, that's when it becomes dangerous and deadly. Because when money's the master, you've let go of God. You can't serve God and money. You can never use worldly wealth well while you love it. You can't use worldly wealth well when you love it. If you value it for its own sake, if you covet it, if you make it an idol, you you can't use it well. To love God, to be a good steward, you must actually hate money what Jesus says here, it's, it's hyperbole but you've got to be able to treat it with caution and use it wisely and then it can have wonderful effects. But if we don't, it can be deadly. That's what we saw in, or what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We read verse 10 earlier about uh, love of money being the root of all kinds of evil but earlier on in that paragraph 
Uh, Paul warns about false teachers who pursue money and then he talks about what the right perspective to money is in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's interesting what he says about the good investment or the good return. The business world's always looking for a great return but Paul says there's something which produces even better returns. A greater profit, it's godliness with contentment. Uh, That word great gain, it's a financial word. There's a great return if you are godly and content. That's the best profit to be chasing. Seeking God, being like him, being content with what he's given you. So on the one hand, Jesus calls us to be shrewd and faithful, to push the limits, to learn from the way the world uses our wealth, uh, to let our wealth serve us, and to use it for God's kingdom. But on the other hand, we're to be content. Uh, We are to be content with what we have. God has given us exactly what we need. We're not to let wealth enslave us. It's a trap, says Paul here to Timothy, to keep accumulating. It may look impressive, but it doesn't last. You can't take it with you. But if you're content... If you can see that your wealth won't last, then your wealth can serve you. You can be a better steward. May we be a people who are shrewd in the way we use worldly wealth. May we be good stewards who work hard and creatively and faithfully but who are content, who use it to make friends for eternity for the sake of God's kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to use the resources you've given us. As a church, we have so much. As individuals, most of us have far more than we need. Please help us to be wise. We thank you too for the the gifting you've given us in our church with many people with financial and business and uh, skills to, to use resources wisely. We pray that as a church we might do it not to build and build and build but to build your kingdom, to to make friends for ourselves for eternity. Uh, That's what we long for and we pray that you might bring it about for your glory. Amen.